This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now it's time for one of our periodic check-ins with the Mayor of Toronto. It comes just weeks before Christmas, days before Hanukkah, when we're hearing about COVID fatigue and people pushing back against the restrictions and the authorities warning that it's all likely to get a lot worse before it gets better. I'd like to welcome John Tory. Hi. Hey, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. I mean, you know, look, uh, I'm obviously, you know, frustrated and disappointed like everybody else. This isn't over, but you have to take each day as it comes and just understand you're trying to do your best. And I think everybody else out there is, too. And, uh, you know, so I can't say it's all great and uh, life is wonderful. But, uh, you know, I, I think we're heading in the right direction with the vaccination, uh, you know, soon to start and all that kind of thing. Well, I, I don't know if you were listening to our strategy panel and I don't want it to go to your head. They seem to be agreed that you're doing a great job, but there are also a lot of people who are pushing back against you. You have some PSAs of a lot of people breaking the rules or saying, hey, I'm not going to let that guy tell me how to celebrate Christmas, how to celebrate Hanukkah or anything else. Or, you know, he's just getting too bossy. Like, what? how are you dealing with all of that? Well, uh, you know, it's funny because I don't hear from too many of those people. I get uh, 500 emails a day during the pandemic, and I think most people understand, uh, the vast majority of people understand that whatever I do, first of all, is based on the expert advice of our medical officer of health and, and other uh, members of her team. Uh, secondly, that it is in the best interest of the city in terms of trying to keep people healthy and prevent deaths and so on. So I think the number of people who have that attitude to say that I'm trying to tell them what to do at Christmas time. I'm, I'm not trying to tell them to do anything. I'm giving them the best advice we can give. The advice really comes from the medical officer of health, and I'm just supporting her. Um, the premier has taken the same kinds of decisions based on medical advice. And I would just say to people out there that are listening, we're doing our very best. Um, and I think our best, while it hasn't been perfect uh, by any means because um, we're human beings, I think our best has put us in a reasonably good place relative to many other places in the world uh, where uh, people stand up and say, we're not going to tell anybody or ask anybody or suggest anybody should do anything. And they have rates of death and rates of illness and problems with their healthcare system far in excess of what we have here. So I, you know, I, I just have to take it as it comes. That's part of what goes with having a, a you know, a public responsibility like this is you have to make decisions and some people don't like them. And, I, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm doing my best. Okay, you know, yesterday you and other city officials were talking about those tent cities that are, are, are still around and uh, some of the hazards that they pose. Take a listen. Tragically, though, one person has already died in an encampment fire in May of this year. In total, seven people have died in encampment fires in Toronto since 2010. In 2020, we have responded to 226 encampment fires, which is a 228% increase over the same period last year. Now, that is uh, Assistant Fire Chief Matthew Pegg. And frankly, we don't need Matthew Pegg to tell us about that. We just have to look out the window or walk down the street. And 
it seems that this whole issue of the tent cities is dominated by a small group of very ideological people who uh, are making a cause out of this. And when the city responds, you seem to be apologetic. We're not clearing the tent cities. Uh, we're moving some people into better housing. And I, I just want to say, as you know, this is our neighborhood, uh, lost in all of this are the people who have to live with the consequences of this. And, and basically, those people are told when, when there are complaints about needles or public sex acts or, or whatever it may be, fires that are dangerous, uh, we're basically told that we are bad, insensitive people. I mean, why is it that, uh, again, residents have, uh, you know, so little weight compared to a few well, very ide- ideologues? I agree with some of what you said and disagree with other parts. I think some of the activists and advocates have frankly been irresponsible in saying things that were never happening and conjuring up notions of things that were just never happening. And I think they've been irresponsible and not contributed positively to a legitimate public discussion that has to happen as to how best to deal with some of our most vulnerable people. Uh, but I will go on to say to you uh, and, and the people you were speaking for or that our residents that my responsibility as mayor is to represent all three million people. That's, I'm the only one that has that responsibility, all three million people, and that includes both residents. And I have a big job to do to make sure all neighborhoods remain safe and stable, but also some of our most vulnerable residents who are people that did not do anything wrong. I mean, they may act in a certain way and behave in a certain way, but they're often people that have issues in their lives that I think most of us can't even contemplate. But I have to represent them, too. And so uh, what we're doing is instead of this notion that we're going to clear out these encampments, we are going about, and we have, we have rehoused during the course of the pandemic 1,100 people from encampments to other kinds of housing. There are about 400 left. I acknowledge that, but we're going to follow the same policy. We are not going to be clearing out encampments, which conjures up some notion of, you know, the mayor or somebody else on his behalf taking bulldozers or dump trucks and coming in the middle of the night to take these encampments down. We are trying to rehouse these people because the solution isn't to, you know, take the encampments down and have them still homeless. The solution is to find a place for them to go. And we've done that for 1,100 people, and we're still working at it. But we're doing it in a, in a, you know, a careful, sensitive manner. But we're doing it. I mean, you know, the encampments are not safe. They're not legal. And they're not healthy. And so that's a good reason why we have to just not leave them there, but rather take steps to, uh, to uh, rehouse the people. That's all fine and good, but surely there should be a way to allow these neighborhoods, and it's not just here, to remain safe. Now, I, I, I have to say this, and, um, you know, normally this would be something to take up with the local councillor. And while I can talk to you, I talk to the Prime Minister. I talk to the Premier occasionally. Councillor Joe Cressy will not talk to us over a period of years, dozens and dozens of requests. Um, and I just heard from uh, some medical professionals who run a medical clinic uh, that he did take a call from them, uh, but very shortly ended up screaming at them. And I would like to ask him about this, but he won't talk to us. Uh, so I, I'm just trying to get the balance is that surely there's a way while while these things are ongoing and believe me we're, we we are not such bad people we do have sympathy for the the people who who are suffering that neighborhoods can be safe 
Yeah, I mean, we've had, I think, quite a bit of success through the use of outreach workers who go into these neighborhoods and worry about, uh, you know, and manage the, the things that go on around some of these encampments and even some of the shelters that we have. It's what goes on outside the buildings that is often, you know, can exactly. be um, At the disruptive to the stability of, of neighborhoods. So I will say to you that I will have a look at what arrangements we have in place to deal with the situation down where you're talking about um, and see if there's more that we, we can do because we've had great success, quite frankly, with many of these uh, uh, shelters in particular um, through the use of outreach workers and people that can help uh, some of these people. These are people that in many cases, they're, they're, not, they're not bad people. They're not criminals. They're not they're homeless and they're often people with mental illness issues and substance use issues and you know the most vulnerable uh, uh, that we have and so um, and, and I will have a talk with Councillor Cressy as well. But look, I, you, you've got him wrong. I mean, he uh, he and I don't don't agree on, on on a number of issues. But I will tell you, his heart when it comes to making sure that we achieve that balance between making sure residents can feel safe and stable in their neighborhood, but also make sure we care for our most vulnerable is genuine. And uh, well, you know, he should tell us me, about it. Then you started this interview today by saying there are people who think I'm I don't forget what you said, casting them to the four winds and ordering them what to do at Christmas. That is such a gross misrepresentation of how I try to do this job and. Councillor Cressy, the same thing. We're people who are human beings who happen to get elected to public office. We have huge responsibilities that involve a lot of balancing acts. In my case, I have to represent all of the interests of three million people who fit into every category you could possibly imagine. None of these decisions about closing and opening things or about how to house the homeless, none of them are easy, but they're all human beings that I represent, and I will not apologize for that. I have to represent everybody. Yeah, but we're no- and, and I think we've done a pretty good job, actually, at maintaining stability in our neighborhoods while at the same time making sure we care for uh, the most vulnerable. Mayor Tory, you, you will have a conversation, unlike Councillor Cressy. But there's uh, another thing uh, that I would like to bring up in the neighborhood, uh, and that is an issue of the building of parkettes. Um, building some parkettes just started a couple of weeks ago. It's been suspended till the spring. These things were approved through a business improvement area a couple of years ago. It's taken a long time. But in the meantime, the situation has really changed. So for one thing, uh, there is a fear that they would just turn into another place where we'd find needles and all of that. That's one thing. And the other thing is we're in the midst of a pandemic. If you walk down the street here, as in many, many other neighborhoods, you will see businesses that have gone out of business, empty storefronts. And the feeling is that, you know, why are we spending this money, which comes from business now when when businesses really need other help and other priorities? Well, I guess I would respond to that by saying that, yes, I understand businesses need other help. I understand they need some help getting on their feet. I think some of those vacant storefronts we can be creative about in the short term, which even makes some of that space available to artists or something like that so they're not empty and bring some life back and give some artists a place to do their work, which they badly need. But, Libby, all that being said, and I fully understand how hard-hit businesses have been by everything that's happened, um, that is no excuse not to build the parkettes, nor is the fact that they could end up being a place where some people again, who are displaced, uh, end up. Uh, the challenge for us is to both build the parkettes and make sure once they're built that uh, we have adequate staff to make sure that they're well-kept and not turning into a place that is unwelcoming for, you know, for average people who want to use them. So I will take that on board. Again, I don't think it's an either-or choice. I don't think I should be saying, well, fine, then we'll just not build these parkettes and just give up. 
on that. People need those parks. Our downtown area, where we've had such development, including the area where you are there, um, is um, under uh, under parked, if that's the right word. Yeah. It's under, um, you know, we, we don't have enough parkland there. So we need these parkettes for people to go and spend a little bit of time outside, especially in a pandemic. So I'll, I'll have a look at what the arrangements are going to be when the parkettes are finished. It'll be in the spring. But I just don't think we should slow down on building them. We should be building more of those. We should just be making sure when they're ready that they're used um, in a way that, um, you know, has everybody sharing them in an orderly, peaceful fashion. And as for business, I'm determined to do some things to try to help them get back on their feet once the pandemic is over. Um, again, you know, with respect, there are a lot of people with kids here and, and they won't come to those places if they are perceived as not being safe. But no, uh, I get that. But you see, yeah. you're saying that and I, I you know, I, I enjoy these discussions with you because you're smart and you ask you know, questions in a, in a, you know, in, in a, 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 you know, a, a manner that per, is pursuing the truth. It's not an either or choice. I see. I'm not prepared to accept the fact that the parkettes are just going to be unsafe and that's that and we should therefore give up on them. I'm saying we need those parkettes in the long-term history, you know, of, of evolution of the city. And our job then becomes to make sure they don't turn into a place that is unsafe and that they are there for the kids and families that need to go there. So, you know, we're going to press ahead and build these. I'm not going to back off on that for a second, uh, but then we'll have the challenge once they're done, and I'm happy to come back on and talk to you about that when they're finished, of making sure they remain safe. And that is something that I understand your concern and that of the people that are in the neighborhood, and uh, I'll take that on. We, we appreciate that. I have one more question, sure. and that like. is about uh, the vaccine rollout. So yep. in terms of the levels of authority, federal government orders it, the, the provincial government uh, deploys it, and then public health uh, carries it out. Right. Public health takes it from there. So, so again, here's my concern. Uh, during the flu vaccine rollout, I had, I talked to tons of doctors and I had a lot of complaints from doctors, uh, because public health, uh, still runs on fax machines. And this is a very, I mean, there, there were problems because of that. And, and I had doctors saying, you know, there's, uh, fax things and, and then they can't get through on the telephone. So, my concern is this. I, I certainly don't doubt that the public health people are, are very qualified and smart, but they're dealing with this old technology. And here you are with these incredibly high-tech vaccines. Well, I will tell you that the system for registration and keeping track of who's had what inoculation, who's registered, who gets the first one and the second one, is all a provincial system, and it's not faxes. Uh, it is a very advanced system, but it's provincial, and we're all mandated to use the provincial system so they can keep track on a province-wide basis of everybody who needs to have the vaccination, who qualifies in the groups, because they're starting, of course, with the long-term care and long-term care workers and then going to health workers and so on. That will all be done on a very sophisticated provincial system. Um, I can tell you I've been now, you know, in charge with the medical officer of health and the fire chief of the pandemic for nine months, and I have yet to see my first fax. So I think, yes, I'm sure that's been the case in the past, but I think now we've moved to a much greater level of sophistication, and people can count on the fact that we're using technology in every possible way uh, to manage this. And in the case of the vaccines, the principal information will be managed via a provincial system that is in place province-wide and that is hardly facts. It's a very sophisticated program. Okay, well, uh, the doctors will be glad to see the end of those fax machines. I hope so. Look, I'll, I'll look into that because that's the kind of thing where I, I, I'll bet you I will look into it and find there are a few fax machines somewhere and I'll say, well, let's have a 30-day objective to get rid of them because there's so many better ways to do things now um, that just involve less hassle, less time and are frankly more reliable. 
Okay. Mayor John Tory, uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, if I don't talk to you before then, uh, Merry Christmas. I hope you have a happy holiday too and all the listeners a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're going to try and make the Christmas and the New Year a little brighter for people. We just have to keep the faith and stay home and follow the public health advice. Notwithstanding people think they're being told what to do, they're just being asked to go along because in many cases we can't order people to stay home. We just have to sort of ask for their cooperation and it's uh, with a view to achieving a brighter days ahead and this, putting this pandemic behind us and getting back to a normal life. That's the ultimate objective. Okay. Thank you Thanks. so much. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.